there's a column for that A1, A2, B5, B6, A, B9. Ooh, ooh, ooh. We know those are cells. Hello. Welcome to our 16th episode of There's a Column for That. I'm your host, author, storyteller, and podcaster, Jamie Beth Cohen. Today, I'm talking to Justin Scribner, Broadway stage manager, producer, playwright, poet, author, and spreadsheet enthusiast who currently teaches at Columbia University. His first collection of poetry and short stories, Every Grain of Sand, was published in November 2020. This conversation was such a delight. Even listening back to it two months after our chat, I had a huge smile on my face. Justin and I met when we sat on a panel together for a program called Alternative Work Week for Year of the Stage Manager, which is this really great group of people who are trying to support stage management professionals and educate other people about what stage management professionals can do. The panel Justin and I sat on was all about writing jobs and the various ways you can make money writing because many stage managers are great, concise, clear writers, and lots of them are looking for jobs to get them through COVID. We're both published writers and we clicked immediately. I mentioned spreadsheets one or 12 million times during the panel, and Justin may love them just as much or more than I do. So I invited him to come on the podcast and chat. Honestly, after our talk, I'm sort of bummed I didn't go into stage management as a career because I really can't think of a better job for someone who loves office supplies, spreadsheets, organization, and people, not to mention theater. But life is a funny, funny thing and regret is futile. So here we are. I'll have to be content with getting to meet and hang out with great people like Justin who are living out their dreams and living out mine a little bit too. My chat with Justin was recorded on Thursday, January 14th, and we're releasing it on March 31st. I'm happy to report his move went well. You'll hear more about that in the episode. Please remember to wear your mask. Black lives still matter. Joe Biden is the rightfully elected president of the United States. And remember, spreadsheets save lives. Please follow us on Twitter at column underscore pod, and please be in touch. Hi, Justin. Welcome to There's a Column for That. (laughs) Hi. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you live, how you identify, what line of work you're in, Do you have hobbies or passions that take up a lot of your brain space, related or unrelated to spreadsheets? And how do we know each other? Feel free to answer any or all of the above. Well, I'm happy to answer all of them. I, uh, my name is Justin Scribner. I am he, his, him, an author, poet, playwright, producer, a stage manager, and I'm an adjunct professor at Columbia University, and we just had our first class of the semester, although it's all remote. Um, what but are you teaching? It, I teach stage management. I teach advanced methodologies, which involves spreadsheets. Oh, lovely. 
wonderful. <laughs> uh, I moved to New York City from Virginia um, in 2002, um, right after college, and I live in Brooklyn. Um, I'm actually moving in a couple weeks to the Upper West Side. I'm very excited to live near Central Park. Oh, fun. It's always been a dream of mine. And uh, my first apartment in New York City was 103rd and Central Park West. Oh, my gosh. I'll be right there. I'll be right there. What a cool neighborhood. Oh, it was amazing. Had I known then what I know now, I never would have given up that apartment. I really had no idea what I had. It was a three month sublet with the option to take over the lease, and I didn't think I could hack it. And so I ended up in Brooklyn, which was fine. But in retrospect, I did not know what I had. Right. Well, we don't know what we don't know. And actually, when we're younger, even if we did know, we still might not have done it. Right. And I will say that that area was certainly not hopping. Like most of my life was happening downtown and in Brooklyn. So it made sense. But man, that apartment was amazing. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, You and I met recently on the, uh, we were co-panelists for the Year of the Stage Manager Alternative Work Week. Uh, They did a writing week and we bonded. Well, first of all, you're very charismatic. And so I just enjoyed laughing at everything you said. And also- The feeling uh, is mutual. (laughs) (laughs) We we bonded over both being published. Our, Our books were both published years last year, mine this year. And- our first books, and we both bought each other's books and are reading each other's books. I have it right here. <laughs> Mine's by my bedside table. Um, it's a nice little break for me, given the other stuff that I'm reading. So I get a snippet, you know. In yeah. Between. We need to be reading also in today's world. Like we need to, we need places to go to use our brains in other ways that are not deep Zoom. anxiety. Yeah. yeah. And Zoom. Zoom yeah. and Doom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Zoom and Doom. Absolutely. <laughs> What's your word for the year? My word for the year is Zoom, actually. (laughs) I was thinking, oh, man, it's grace. Maybe it's grace. No, I think it's Zoom. Maybe it's Zoom for the year. I think that's what it is. Uh, Anyway, also, we bonded over loving spreadsheets, and you asked me to be on this podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to have you, so let's dive right in. How do you interact with spreadsheets in your work and or your life? So my main job in life is stage managing Broadway plays and musicals. And so I use Excel and have been using Excel for a long time for a lot of different types of documents. But the advent of Google Sheets has been really, really helpful because collaborating on those documents with my team of other stage managers has been vital. Um, But we do to-do lists and uh, we create cue sheets and run of show uh, documents and we do, you do want to prop say lists a, and a little yeah. bit about what each of those things sure. are for anyone listening sure, sure, sure. who doesn't know. So to do lists we all know. Yep. But the great thing about a Google Sheet to do list is you could have many people on it simultaneously. It's basically anyone in the corporate world would have a project management sheet that they shared and that's something kind of similar to what a pre-production checklist might be for a stage manager before we get into the rehearsal room. If if you want to have a Google Sheet to collaborate with your team, it's a great way to do it. And um, there's cue sheets, you know, f- depending on the cr- backstage crew, how they are organizing their cues. 
you might have different documents for different departments, but stage managers usually have one document that outlines every single move that every single crew member makes throughout the show. And there's a different, there's a column for that. And then there's also rows throughout the entire document that you can sort by person. So you could create a, a queue sheet based on exactly what moves everyone has. And, and then you can split it up by scene or song, um, where it is located backstage, downstage left, downstage right, upstage left, upstage right, depending on the wings, up in the fly floor, in the basement. Yeah. I mean, listening to you, I don't know why anyone would want any other job besides being a Broadway stage manager. So, uh, yeah, keep going. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, spreadsheets are magical, but I will say the job predates spreadsheets. So it's much easier to do our job than it used to be. And yet the advent of spreadsheets also comes with the advent of all sorts of new technologies backstage and automation and uh, automation is now kind of merging in with lighting design too and projection design. So things are getting more complicated backstage because we can organize it digitally better. So our brains are growing with all of it as well, what we're able to juggle. And it's really fun. I must say, I am very grateful for my job. It's awesome. Yeah. And when's it coming back, Justin? What do you I know mean, that- That we is know? the, I don't. And, and, and I wish I did. I wish I had some sort of secret. I wish this was the, the podcast that we broke the news about Broadway coming back, but that is <sighs> sadly, that's not anytime soon. Uh, however, I mean, there's Fauci recently, last week, uh, put out, uh, an, there was an interview with Fauci where he said that it's possible if vaccinations keep moving forward and uh, we take the precautions that are needed, we might be able to get into theaters in the fall. But I anticipate that the Broadway League is going to try to do a few shows, only a couple, just to, to test it out. Maybe, I think, being an optimist, I think we're looking at maybe three or five shows that might try out this fall and see if it works, but it's probably not going to be for tourists or, you know, people coming in from out of town. Cause I don't think people are going to travel to see Broadway shows, even if they are open. Yeah. I don't know. I, I that's really interesting. I cannot imagine at this point sitting in a full theater. I'm sure that's not what they're talking about, to, but I do know, the economics behind it is how long can you really run a show without a full theater? So like, like that sort of blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be, it's going to be a very long time before they're full theaters back the way they used to be. And there are many things we won't do anymore. I, I think that backstages on Broadway were not designed for what we do, what we use them for. They are very tight quarters. Um, I'm curious to see if the content that we see on stage might change for a while because we have a lot of intimate things that happen on stage. I'm worried about all of the dancers that do incredibly intricate and powerful partnering work. Like, will they be able to do that when we come back? I'm thinking of all the incredible dancers that I've worked with, like Moulin Rouge, all the girls that are doing the can-can and everyone's sweating all over each other. And, you know, I, I don't, I want everyone to have jobs again, but I'm worried it was going to be a second. It's yeah. going to be a second. And yeah. in the meantime, I'm also worried about all the incredible, talented people that are having to pivot that may never pivot back. 
right? I don't know. <laughs> no answers, only questions, yeah. truly. Also, in addition, I use spreadsheets as the treasurer of my condo association. I have a whole budgeting. We just interviewed the president of a condo association who was telling me all about how she uses spreadsheets in that role. It's vital. It's so vital. But you're moving. Well, I'm going to stay the owner of this apartment and rent it out and stay the treasurer. I am too excited to be putting in our finances into my spreadsheet to actually that I wouldn't leave actually if I had to do that how many units in your building it's very small it's a four unit building it's a family it's very nice to have just a small group for a condo that's really surprising because very rarely does a brownstone become a condominium but ours is so it's pretty easy frankly to do all the finances but we don't have a management company we do everything ourselves and um yeah, we, we do a Google Sheet and have a different tab for each year. And every, you know, every item, uh, it gets its row and every everything's split up into beautiful columns. And there's a front page so you can really track all of the totals. And oh, yes, formulas galore. Can you tell me what neighborhood? Just because I'm curious. Oh, absolutely. It's like, actually, it's kind of a non-neighborhood in between <laughs> Bed-Stuy, Crown Heights, uh, Prospect Heights and Clinton Hill, kind of like right by the Franklin stop on the C, Ace, the C train. Okay. So my yeah. first apartment in Brooklyn was Washington between, no, St. John's between Vanderbilt and Underhill. Underhill. Oh God, that's so nice. I love it over there. Maybe it wasn't nice then. It, it was not. <laughs> it was not. It's a great ramen place there now over there. No, it was not. (laughs) We were, we were, I mean, sad to say we were gentrifiers. I mean, we we were frontline first wave and I have complicated feelings about that now. And I had complicated feelings about it then. Um, Yeah. Different complicated feelings, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a trip for sure. So, yeah. I have felt like a gentrifier in every single place I've lived in New York city, except for my first apartment on 75th street and york on the upper east side where i felt so out of place and uncomfortable around Mm -hmm. all the rich people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i quickly moved to brooklyn to lefferts gardens and i've Mm -hmm. lived in harlem and Mm -hmm. um i'm 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 happy living in a community where i feel like people have families and people are here Yes. Uh, I mean, my street is only three blocks. Lefferts Place is this beautiful little street in between busy Fulton and busy Atlantic. Mm-hmm. And there's no one that come that comes down mm-hmm. the street that doesn't live on it. Right. There's, it's not a thoroughfare. So why it's are fabulous. you leaving? I know. I know. I know. Well, my brother used to live upstairs. Okay. So the whole reason we got this place is we thought a perfect place to like settle in for a long haul. And we own the roof, so the two of us are able to hang out on the roof together. And we built a roof deck. It's very cool. I mean, everything is magical. And then pandemic hit. He and I both met wonderful boyfriends, and he and his boyfriend are moving out of the city. And my boyfriend and I want to move in together. So we're picking the Upper West Side, and everything is changing, and we're just accepting and going with the flow. And I'll just... I, I'm a, it's a combination of excitement to, to be moving to a new place and a, some serious grief about leaving this because I was hoping to be here much longer. So I'm going to tell you a story that I probably shouldn't tell you because I'm also very excited for you. 
we were living on Court Street across from the Citibank of Love, if you know the, the Carroll Gardens neighborhood. Oh, yeah, I do. Above what used to be Max Court and is now some other Italian restaurant. There are a few and, Italian restaurants there. Well, yeah, just a few. <laughs> this, I, I wish I could remember the name because you would know the restaurant. It's across from the Citibank of Love. And I think there's a Dunkin' Donuts on the corner now. Yeah. Back then, there I know was, exactly where it was. We got a place on uh, 122nd between Broadway and Amsterdam. I just moved from here from 122nd Street, but Frederick Douglass. But how yeah, weird. We, so we were living in a Jewish theological seminary housing. So oh, yeah right on that block with the seminary and I really didn't want to move and at nine o'clock on the night before the moving truck came our apartment looked like we totally lived in it like I I just I had a block and I couldn't pack I am like someone who packs months in advance like as soon as we sign a lease the art comes off the walls it's like what what am I not gonna it looked like we lived in the apartment at nine o'clock my husband found me crying in the kitchen He sent me to bed. He packed the entire apartment by himself. I did not want to leave Brooklyn so much that I like lost my ever loving mind. It all ended up fine. I shouldn't have told you that. It's going to be wonderful. But uh, well, you should know I have not started packing and I have the same exact feeling. There's uh, so many parallels between you and I. I, It's bizarre. And my boyfriend lives on Court Street, by the way, over right now. Oh my gosh. It's a lot of parallels. But yeah, no, I'm 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 gonna pack someday soon. Ugh. Spreadsheets. Spreadsheets. Tell me your favorite or your biggest problem program or project you've tackled with a spreadsheet. Up until this past year, my favorite project was this document I called Performances Played, which was something I created at Rock of Ages where I worked for six and a half years, uh, tracking every single performance and who played every role at every performance so that every tab was a different month uh in that spreadsheet every actor that had ever worked at the theater had their own row and every performance was a column well it it was able i was able to track on the first page of totals every single person that had ever played every role how many times they played it including half performances if people got injured and had to call out in the middle of the show so is that not something that's typically done? Uh, there's company managers who run the show often have some sort of documents, especially weekly paycheck related, payroll related documents that track everyone. But it you could never have an actor come up to you and say, I, I came into the show in 2008 and I did a few months and then I came back in 2011 and did a few months. And then you called me in for a vacation for someone for a week and something. Do you know how many performances I've done? I could. I absolutely could. The 110 people that were in Rock of Ages, I knew exactly how many performances everyone had done. And it was really fun. I mean, that's what you do on a long running show when you have time on your hands. But do you know what a a Gantt chart is? No, tell me more. So a Gantt chart, have you ever gone to the Wikipedia page for a band? And at the very bottom, there's a colorful graph that shows who played what instrument when? Apparently, I learned on this podcast, interviewing someone, that that is a Gantt chart. It's something that visually allows you to see Steve Winwood or whatever, like who was vocals, who was guitar. Thank you for choosing Steve Winwood, by the way. Thank you for that. So good. Amazing. (laughs) And so it shows you, or like, here's a better one, because I actually know it's like in Van Halen, 
like when was it when was it David Lee Roth versus when was it Sammy Hagar and all of that stuff so it sounds like I bet maybe you could even take that spreadsheet and turn it into a Gantt chart yep a thousand percent okay a but very complicated one before this year that was your favorite one yeah well you have a new when one? I yes because in selling my book um and deciding that I was I thought I would never sell my book myself. Of course, uh, it's a print-on-demand, self-publishing model. And so I could totally just, through my publisher, have it up on Amazon and people would order it from Amazon and it would fulfill it and I would get a royalty. But because of the pandemic, I thought, send the boxes to my living room. I'll send them from here. And I'd done a great job with it. And in order to do a great job with it, I had to have a serious spreadsheet to track all the finances, to track everyone's orders, to track all the complications. And what was overwhelming for maybe two or three days became one of my favorite spreadsheets I've ever put together. And I'm, you know, it's also all a game. I love board games. Mm -hmm. I love organization. Mm -hmm. I love... I love checking checklists mm -hmm. and check boxes and to-do lists. So this is all related. It's all a game of, of productivity, truly. Yeah. No, I, I totally relate to that. I am not selling it myself except in certain, like for people who want signed copies, we sell it, but we sell it through my husband's comic book store. So oh, I got, got it. Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten to offload those duties. When I did the pre-order campaign, I did that myself. Uh, he did not have the comic book store at that time. Oh. And mine is also print on demand on Amazon through my publisher. But at the time I submitted my final draft, they asked me, how many author copies do you want? And the more you buy, the deeper mm -hmm. the discount. And then I could resell them. And so I did the entire pre-order campaign myself. It's so much. And you also have a job and children and yeah 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 mm -hmm. it's a How'd game of productivity it's a game of productivity <laughs> my life is a game of productivity which is tracked on multiple spreadsheets so there uh, you go i'm living the dream <laughs> all right justin what about the limits of spreadsheets what kind of problems can they not solve or what projects can they not help you take on well for me the biggest thing is collaboration with teams. So uh, Google Sheets has solved my biggest problem with creating documents alone in my silo of my me and my laptop. You know, I need the cal I need a calendar, a good calendar. I need uh, I've actually transitioned all of my kind of to do lists from my phone onto the reminders app, which I didn't realize was as thorough and fabulous as it is. Um, so during the pandemic, I've been able to transition everything in my digital life to reminders. Although a lot of those things were actually spreadsheets. So I miss spreadsheets sometimes in that way, you know? It's hard to know what exactly is right for you. And I think I'll probably be switching gears a few times throughout this, this technology curve that we're experiencing. If you don't know what a spreadsheet can do, you are limited. There, there's so much that you're capable that you're, you can do. That's a tool that is, it's a multi-tool. And people, some people think it's a hammer. You know, like mm -hmm. it can do so much more than we think it can. And it's that was evolving such too. A stage manager thing to say. <laughs> it's a multi-tool, but people think it's a hammer. 
<laughs> I'm going to use that. It's only as limiting as, you know, the person who is using it, yeah. I think. What's the silliest thing you've ever used a spreadsheet for? I'm not sure. I think recently I, I created a like a birthday, like, you know, for, for a bunch of friends were going to buy birthday gifts and, and we did it over the course of a month. So everyone took a different day. Um, it wasn't it wasn't silly. The project was very straightforward, but we made it really fun and were able to like switch up the type of gift based on the color. You know, we chose. So, you know. Aww. Yeah. I got to tell you, most people I interview are like, there is nothing silly about anything I've ever done with a <laughs> That is an insulting question, which I think is really funny because I took it from a friend who asked me that and I didn't have a good answer for it. But my favorite answer for those people who have been listening to the podcast is a friend who had a very boring day job with a vending machine and she got a pack of M&Ms every day and graphed the color. I heard this podcast. Yes. Yeah, and that's so thrilling. Actually. To me, it's like that's like that's as close as silly as it gets. It's still a really cool spreadsheet with like, but it's like okay, it's silly. So yeah, yeah. Most people are like, no, no, no. My spreadsheets are very serious, Jamie. Very serious. <laughs> All right, we've made it to our rapid fire part of the um, podcast, and I actually this is not maybe not going to be rapid fire because the first question is typically Excel, Google Sheets, something else. Sub question, Mac, PC, tablet, or phone. But I, you've already talked about your switch sort of from Excel to Google mm -hmm. Sheets. And I do understand the, how that's helpful collaboratively. But do you miss the functionality of Excel? Because I feel like Google oh, Sheets. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. oh, yes. Yeah, I'm a Mac person. Mm -hmm. I am a, a laptop Mac person, not a tablet person. I am, if I could, I would, it would all be in Excel because Google Sheets is more limited than Excel by far. And there have been a few sync issues I've had with Google Sheets and not being able to use it when I'm not online is a real problem. So there, there is still a bridge to get across somehow here between Excel and Google Sheets. And um, one way that I solve it is doing things in Excel and, and sharing it in a Dropbox folder with other people right. because Excel does so many things better. Boom. I don't need to say more than that. Everyone on here knows. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite command or function in Excel or Google Sheets? Control Y in every program. Repeat the action. Oh, I did not know that one. Uh-huh. Control Y. Because you, especially for people who like to click, you have to click, then click, then click, then click, and highlight the cell and then click the action. And if you can just go by cell and hit control Y, you can do things so much faster and more efficiently. I wish people could see my mind being blown in real time. <laughs> this is like when someone taught me format paint. <gasps> like, <laughs> control Y. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. What's one thing about spreadsheets that you think other people might not know is one of our other questions. Yep. <laughs> Control Y might be it, but I'll let you answer another one if you want. <laughs> I, you know, I use a lot of shortcuts. Okay. So Control X, Z, That Control v, C, Control v, X, can, M, yeah, I got, M, yeah. yeah. The whole lower row is really strong when it comes to the <laughs> control functions. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I use I use all of uh, all of them, and uh, yeah, shortcuts make me happy. And I also they're so ingrained that I don't think about them. Right. So I think it makes the whole process a lot faster. But I would say the thing that, that a lot of people don't know about spreadsheets is they don't have to be perfect. The whole goal is that they're a living document. For the most part, spreadsheets are ever changing. They're built so that they can continue growing or you know, they can build upon themselves as data comes in or things change. And I think people imagine that they have, that they're, they're like PowerPoint slides, you know, that you're building a spreadsheet so that it looks good when you print it, which it can, but ultimately if you're, if you're lucky, about it, if you're yeah. lucky, it can look good when you print it. Right. I've often shared a spreadsheet with someone and said, this is not meant to be printed. Please let <laughs> Please let me know if you're a paper person. I might need to send you something else. <laughs> uh, what about color coding cells or typeface or? A thousand percent. Absolutely. Every document of mine has something design wise. I'm very conscious of margins and cell size and color coding, pleasing colors, fonts, typeface. I mean, fonts are so important to me. <laughs> do you use conditional formatting at all? Are you a conditional formatting person? No, actually, I, I have tr I have dabbled. Dabbled in but, conditional uh, formatting. <laughs> no, it's not a go-to for me. I don't I don't think to do it. Actually. I think that's often. Um, I, well, it's interesting because as the treasurer, it's I think it's a often a finance thing where you know mm -hmm. if something is mm -hmm. negative, then it goes to red. If something is above a certain number. Yeah. Like, oh, you're over budget. So I, I can imagine that being useful. I don't use a ton of conditional formatting, um, but I do, I often think as I'm formatting something, I'm thinking, should I be using conditional formatting? But then I've already right. formatted everything. So I'm like, eh, next time, so. I think that's exactly right. I, by the time I think of it, I'm, I'm too deep in. Yes, yes. So many, we're like the same person, basically. <laughs> Uh, do you have feelings about CRMs and spreadsheets? Do you use, I can't imagine, do you interact no. with CRMs? No. I mean, we do have, we use a FileMaker database sometimes backstage on, on Broadway shows. Often though, that's the stage manager's responsibility to purchase personally that database if they want to use that. The only thing closest to, close to that is this book sales document that I created this year. But that's true. Cause now, cause I, orders on yeah, I got a contract for the sequel for the follow-up that's going to come out in November. Congratulations. Thank you. But I am starting to think like, how am I going to reach out to the people who bought the first book directly from me? Like, mm -hmm. so yeah, it, it's going to mm -hmm. turn into somewhat of a customer relationship management situation where, you know, you don't want to hit people too many times, but you also don't want to miss out. I'm always, I'm super into social media and I'm always surprised when someone's like, oh, you wrote a book? And I was like, we are friends uh -huh. on Facebook, right? Like, how have you missed that I wrote a book? And so I worry where I have like some of my friends saying, you post too much about this, it's too much self-promotion. And then other people somehow still don't know that it's happening. So I, I do have an email list. I'm going to have to make some... I was worried about the exact same thing, actually. When I was promoting this fall, I th I think it's enough to just post it, you know, because the people that are not interested in me and have muted me or hid me or whatever they've done, and that's fine. 
maybe it's best that I promote and know that those people aren't going to be bothered by me. And then I thought, truly, this isn't about not bothering people. This is about sharing something that's important to me. And I'm going to send an email to pretty much everyone that I've ever worked with who can take it or leave it. And if they want to celebrate me or they are interested in buying the book, fabulous. And if not, I'm going to just blow my horn on the streets of New York and in this email inbox and let people take it for what it is. I'm not going to be blowing my horn that much. So I'm just going for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I did an initial, when I got my, when I got my debut contract, I did an initial email to 600 people. Wow. And that was literally sort of anyone whose email address I had in any of my multiple email accounts that had come you know, through my life, through multiple jobs and all of that, you know, and I said, listen, this is the email I'm sending. I got a book contract. You're going to get one more email telling you when you can buy it. If you want more than that, sign up for this actual like email list in MailChimp, you know, like this like legit thing. And so that list is about, is it about 240? Yeah which isn't, that's fine. It's totally fine. It's funny creating that 600 person email list, which was a lot of exports, right? In, in, and then deduping, right? CSV, like, yeah, uh-huh. Right? But then there was also the like, removing the deceased people. I know, I did this too, yes. There was the removing the exes who did not want to hear from me or who I didn't want to hear from me. And there were some mistakes made. So I, I caution anyone, user error is no joke. And um, I don't know that I'll be using that 600 person list again for this book. I might, I might not, I don't know. But you know, in that regard, the CRM is really more like a PRM. It's just people relationship management. Like we do need to have and this is everyone needs to have some sort of understanding of their contacts and Mm -hmm. maybe we do need some sort of better spreadsheet out there just to keep track of people we've lost and people we want to lose Mm -hmm. you know i have a friend who had um a story published in the tiny modern love like modern love is like a 1800 word column but then they do these little ones and her tiny modern love was i have two ex-fiancés one of them died the other one should have. So yeah, people we've lost and people we wish we had lost or are trying to lose. Yeah. And then our last rapid fire, do you know how to make a pivot table? How and why to make a pivot table? I've never had the need. I know what they are. They're pretty magical. And if I was like in international sales or, uh, you know, or like my, my brother's boyfriend, who's an actuary for an insurance company, I mean, he must Pivot have tables. so many spreadsheets. <laughs> pivoting, 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 pivoting tables. I mean, he's got every possible. He actually said at one point that he uh, he 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 lives, breathes, and sleeps spreadsheets. I think something like that. Yeah. And is he? But of course. I mean, like, oh, yeah. he's so good. lovely. Oh yeah, he's fantastic. That's yeah, awesome. no, it's funny because I think there's also something to that that spreadsheet people are not people people. But they are. There are absolutely people, people that are spreadsheet people. 
I'm repeating yeah, and, myself. And there are mole people that are spreadsheet people. And, and hello to you as well from, <laughs> from your dungeon. We love you too. But it's not only mole people. So this, I, you know, I can't remember if I said this on the panel with you. I know I said it recently on one of my interviews for the podcast that admissions was the perfect job for me. So financial aid and admissions for a private school because it was like half party planner and half Excel reporting. And I enjoyed both of those sides. I think there are people in admissions who really like the party planning side. I think there are fewer people in admissions who only like the reporting side. I legitimately like them equally. And yes, there are, we are out there. I will say the only actuary I've ever met, I did not enjoy sitting at a table at a wedding with him, but that that could have been a a one-time thing. I would be interested to do a spreadsheet on actuaries and see how many were mole people and how many were people people. Perhaps our, we, we can we can work on that on the side. Editor's note, Jamie has said nothing about mole people. That's all Justin. <laughs> um, well, my very first interview for this podcast was my spreadsheet guru, who is a CPA. And throughout oh, yeah. her career, she has been told, you're not a typical CPA. And she's like, yeah, I take that as a compliment. Thank you. Yeah. My um, my accountant is the, the spreadsheet that we get every year to fill out is so impressive from a formula spreadsheet standpoint. And it's the user experience of it is so fabulous. Um, I'm very I th- that is quite a skill. So yeah. when I when I ran a financial aid program for a private school, I showed my father in law the application to apply for financial aid. And he was like, do you secretly work for the CIA? I was like, you'd think I do, but I don't. I mean, the things I asked people, not me. I mean, I, you know, it was my job, but the things I learned about people, he was like, really? People tell you this? And I was like, yeah, when your tuition is $26,000 and this was 20 or 15 years ago, people will tell you a lot to get a discount on that tuition. So yeah. And I would take their application and I would input it into a spreadsheet that had pivot tables, et cetera. That, and again, that was fun for me. And the other thing about me is I don't retain numbers in my head, which I think is the reason why mm. I'm so good with spreadsheets, because I can't do anything in my head. I, it has to be you know, written down mm-hmm. or something I can see. So even though I asked for all that information on all those people, I didn't retain it personally. So when a parent walked through the door, I didn't see their net worth flashing over their head, even though I had a spreadsheet that told me their net worth, but it didn't impact how I dealt with them or because I didn't even remember it, like it, not even sort of implicitly. Amassing that spreadsheet knowledge and experience over time. Who knows what's next for you? <laughs> All right. We are in our final thoughts time. Is there any media? books, movies, shows, podcasts, albums that you are listening to, reading, experiencing right now in this pandemic that is helping you through and you want to shout out and recommend. 2020 year months were all about like the Great British Baking Show and RuPaul's Drag Race. And it was about floof and escapism and, you know, enjoying the time. In December, I got really into HBO Max's new show, The Flight Attendant. Mm-hmm. No spoilers, but okay. it's like an eight episode mystery thriller. Love it. Psychological. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fabulous surprise. Uh, I loved it. 
and um, and I've, I've been reading a lot of poetry, but uh, one book that's really powerful that I'm getting into with a few friends, and that's called Belonging, um, Remembering Ourselves Home. It's by this fabulous new age author, Tokopa, and Tokopa Turner, I think. Um, Anyway, it's, it's just a really powerful book about alienation and all of us feeling very alone and separate and how kind of practical steps towards finding your way back to yourself and to your communities and um, using dreams. I'm just very, very cool book. Um, so I was going to highly recommend people start podcasts about things they love so that they can talk to cool people who also love those things. That was my very practical step to uh, to relate to other human beings outside and it's of working. my house. It is. It's been so much fun. <laughs> I love that. Very cool. Okay. This is your time to shout yourself out. So tell oh, us yeah. how to find you, how to find your book. Give us a little promo for your book if yeah. you want and anything else that you want people to check out so the book that i wrote is called every grain of sand it's a collection of poetry short stories and haiku and it's all stuff that i've been writing for like the past 25 years um and mostly secretly i mean i i am not a writer um in the public eye but i've been a writer in my home and in in nooks and cafes and libraries and bookstores for decades and I never thought I'd have time to publish so the fact that that has happened this year is so creatively and personally fulfilling for me and um, I'm very grateful to have published it and had it be so well received by a bunch of surprising amount of people have purchased and and said how much it resonated with them and I'm very grateful for that uh, you can find that on my website. It's justinscribner.com. And my social media handles are jscribs. Uh, and I also am working this year with a company that I started with one of my dear friends, Michael Arden. It's an immersive, site-specific theater company called The Forest of Arden. And you can look us up at, at The Forest of Arden Co., but we're going to be doing some really cool things in 2021, doing some outdoor, innovative, tech-forward, immersive theater. And uh, that's what I've been kind of, besides the book and uh, watching Great British Baking Show, that is what I've been spending my time on. Wow. And how about, you must know organizations that are helping out-of-work actors, stage managers, et cetera, et cetera, if people want to help in that way? Are there places you oh, recommend? Yeah. Absolutely. I would say first and foremost, there's a lot of regional theaters that are suffering around the country. And there are there are a lot of different initiatives and cool projects and and, and programs that they're, they've started so that they can connect with people digitally. Um, so look at your regional theaters, find out what they're doing. They probably don't have the money to market to you. And you might need to step out of your box to reach out to them and find out what they're up to. Um, and on the larger scale, the Actors Fund and Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS are reaching um, out for donations to be able to gr give grants to organizations and uh, to people, single individuals who are suffering and, and dealing with challenges. Um, it's it's been it's been a really really hard year, and yet 
I think, unfortunately, for people in the arts, it's going to be another hard year or so. Thank you for that. And we are at our last question, which is a question you get to ask me about anything you want, spreadsheet related or not. It's not spreadsheet related, but I just need to know, what is it like being a mother right now? Truly, I mean, it's... I I have answers and I have spreadsheets. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So... For those of you who don't know, I recently had a piece go moderately viral in the Huffington Post about my sex life in quarantine and what it's like to have sex with my husband when the kids are always home and always awake. (laughs) It used to be like, let's have sex when they're at soccer practice. Then it was like, let's just wait till they go to sleep. And now they don't go to soccer practice and they stay up later than I do. So uh, read all about that. Um, but seriously, it is, we are, I'm, I don't think I've said this yet on the podcast because I don't think anyone's asked me about this. We are in such the sweet spot for this to be happening. They are not infants or toddlers. So mm. they do not need, they do not need 24 hour support. And they are not teenagers who want to be going to see boyfriends, girlfriends, best friends. So they are, we have an, well, at the beginning of quarantine, we had an almost eight-year-old and an almost 11-year-old. My son's best friend is my husband. He's happy. He does not care. (laughs) You give him a ball or you give him a video game and my husband, and he is the happiest person on the face of the earth. My daughter, who's older, definitely misses her friends. They both miss playing soccer with their friends. Um, But my daughter also, you know, has a decommissioned iPhone that she can FaceTime with her friends. And uh, yeah, so we're in a we're super lucky. I mean, the only thing this is, I've said this a lot recently, especially uh, in the last couple of days everything inside our four walls is actually amazing and we're Mm -hmm. so lucky and everything outside these four walls that I don't have control over is horrible. And so I try to moderate how much time I spend working on solving issues outside of my four Mm -hmm. walls through activism, through donations, through whatever needs to happen. But the time that I get to just focus on what's in my four walls, we're super lucky. And I, there are so many people that have it so much worse than us. The thing that has suffered is my creativity. I, I don't have the time or the headspace that I once did because my day job is Tuesday through Saturday. I don't work in theater anymore, but Mondays are still my day off. And it used to be my kids were in school on Monday and I had all day Monday to work on writing. And I don't have that anymore. And my husband's been great about giving me time, but you know, time holed up in my bedroom trying to write is very different than going to my favorite cafe or my favorite Mm -hmm. bar to write. So especially because um, this book is, so my first book was about a 16 year old and the second book is her at 21. Oh, cool. It's really hard to write a 21 year old's journey when I'm a 45-year-old mother of two in the suburbs of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. (laughs) And so being at a cafe or a bar sort of helped me get there. And like, I had to write a first date scene in this book. And like, I haven't been on a first date in over 23 years. 
<laughs> so I would have loved to have gone to a bar and sort of watched some first dates and that wasn't an option. So I really had to dig deep into my memory for that one. <laughs> you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Whew. You're close. Whew. Yeah, it'll, it'll happen. It'll happen. But it is, I mean, yeah, thanks for the question. Cause it's no joke. I mean, it is, it is, they're not toddlers, but it's, it's, it's heavy and it's heavy explaining the news to them. And it's heavy talking oh, sure. about why we're going through this. And mm -hmm. it's heavy when they see their friends on social media, making choices that we're not allowing our kids to make. And so these are all mm. conversations that we've had to have. Um, and we have like really smart, inquisitive kids who don't, they don't let us off the hook very easily or ever. Mixed blessing. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> I was once told by a mother of three lovely girls who were probably teenagers at the time when I was struggling with my very headstrong daughter, that if it is a quality you would appreciate in a coworker or a friend, don't mm. squelch it in your kid just because it's hard to parent. Wow, that's really good advice. It saved me. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's it saved me. And I had another cool. person say when I was doing admissions work, a mom came in to meet with me. She was alone. She didn't bring her kid for that meeting. She's fine. The kid was probably three. And she was describing her child to me. And she said, well, here's the deal. When she's a teenager, if someone wants her to try drugs and she doesn't want to, she won't. The flip side is if she wants to try drugs, no one's going to be able to talk her out of it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you just described my three-year-old. <laughs> So, yeah, total mixed blessing, but I've really tried to be mindful of who I want her to be as an adult mm -hmm. and to understand that parenting that person is not always easy, but for the best. Well, more power to you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. This has been lovely. I feel like we could go on for hours and hours. It was and a hours. blast. Um, Thank I'm you sort for of interested me. in talking to your your brother's boyfriend. Maybe we'll get an, an actuary, actuary oh on a my podcast. Gosh. Would he do this? It'd probably be short, but he'd be so lovely to talk to. <laughs> That's funny. Well, thank you so much. I know, I'm so excited for you to be teaching, and I'm so excited for you to be starting a theater company and writing and doing all your things. I'm less excited for you to move because I know moving's a pain in the butt, so I will be sending warm wishes thank your you. way. Although I think if anyone can make a move seamless, it's a stage manager, stage right? Stage manager. Yeah, I have lists. I'm ready. I'm prepared. It's going <laughs> to be efficient. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review everywhere you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at column underscore pod. Special thanks to Nora Grace and Josiah for our theme song, Sam Schindler for editing and production, Nick Peterson for additional music, and you for listening. Have a great day.